gospel is a very particular word or kind of speech in the Bible. From Genesis to Revelation, the gospel is God's promise of a son who will crush the serpent's head, forgive the sins of his people, raise them from the dead, and give them everlasting life solely on the basis of his grace for the sake of Christ. If you're interested in the, the beginnings of the church, you know, I think looking at the creed is a great way of, of getting into church history and really seeing where the faith kind of came together. In the scripture, the way it presents discernment is actually the skill that you develop where you're able to identify goodness. And what was surprising to me is that is much the way we use the language of discernment outside of the church. The real difference, I would say, like what patriarchy teaches versus what we should believe is that what they believe about the nature of men and women, that there is something fundamentally different about authority and submission between men and women. And that's not just like within particular relationships, but men and women in general. This is their nature. What are the duties required in the Ninth Commandment? The duties required in the Ninth Commandment are the preserving and promoting of truth between man and man. The Gospel never tells us something to do. The Gospel tells us about something that's been done. Hi, welcome to Theology Gals. I'm Colleen Sharp, and Rachel Miller is my co-host. And we're going to be starting a new series. Doesn't really have a name yet. Maybe we'll think of something along the way. But uh, we're going to be talking about, starting with talking about some of the foundational, essential doctrines of the Christian faith. Uh, so today we want to talk about the creeds specifically, and we'll talk about the catechisms a little bit too. And then we're going to be, hopefully next week, we're going to be talking about the Trinity with a special guest, and we're going to be talking about the Holy Spirit and, and some other things. So wanted to let all of you know about that. And I know that a lot of times when um, somebody might be new to Reformed theology and the ideas of creeds and catechisms come up. I've, I've had people say, aren't those Catholic? I remember even when I was newly Reformed hearing about confessions and catechisms, and I was so clueless. I mean, I was a teenager at the time. And wait, I thought only Catholics you know, believe the confessions and catechisms. And some of, some people grew up with creeds, but you'll hear things like, no creed but Christ. I just believe the Bible. You know, these sorts of things. Um, I'm sure, Rachel, you've heard some of these too. Oh, absolutely. You know, I, I grew up Southern Baptist before we became Presbyterian. And, you know, I, I went to Lutheran schools. And so, I you know, we did the uh, catechisms and uh, we had the questions and and. In eighth grade, all my friends went through confirmation. So, you know, I kind of got a glimpse of what that was like, you know, outside the Catholic world in the Protestant, uh, in the Protestant sense of use of catechisms and confessions and creeds. And I thought they were really cool. I was really interested in the history, but, you know, I had most of what I had heard growing up in church, not from my family, but the people around me was, you know, no creed but, but the Bible, no creed but Christ. So, yeah, I know what you mean. 
And I'll even see, we've even had in the Facebook group where a question will be asked and I will put some uh, some of the um, confession as an answer and someone will say, oh, I don't want that. I only, I only want scripture. And, you know, everything that we're going to be talking about here, the creeds and the confessions, they are summaries of what is in scripture. And we're going to start with talking about creeds. And creed is derived from the Latin word credo, meaning I believe. And so they really are summaries of belief. And the creeds, it's amazing to me that the creeds that that we still confess, that are confessed in my church, um, I think in the Trinity hymnal, I, I'm pretty sure in the back you have both the um, Nicene and Apostles' creeds, mm-hmm. um, that They've just been around for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. And I think that's important. And one of the things that um, is unfortunate is a lot of people don't understand why church history is so important. Mm. And a lot of the, or I would, I would venture to guess that every heresy that's around today is just an old, it might seem like a new heresy, it's just an old heresy repackaged. Um, there's nothing new. So... The other thing is when when people say no creed but Christ, that's a creed right there. You know, we should consider history, and I think it's actually dangerous, the idea, just me and my Bible, where you're going in and on your own interpreting everything without the benefit of um, the benefit of our fathers before us. Well, you know, and that's the difference. There's a lot of discussions about this between um, sola scriptura, by scripture alone, and only scripture, right? That scripture is our only rule of faith and practice, right? But that doesn't mean that we don't use the wisdom of the church fathers, as you say, that have gone before us, who have worked out the important doctrines and who, who have helped us understand and summarize what the scripture is teaching in various areas so that we can very quickly point to, yeah, that this is what it says on this point, and these are the doctrines that are, are really important for us to understand. So, you know, we're all working from the same position of um, that Scripture is of primary importance, but that doesn't mean there isn't a place for creeds and confessions. Yeah, I have a, a couple quotes I want to treat. I have a lot of, of um, resources that I'm going to be adding to the episode notes this week, and there is an article by Carl Truman on the OPC website about this, and he says, I, I do want to make the point here that Christians are not divided between those who have creeds and confessions and those who do not. Rather, they are divided between those who have public creeds and confessions that are written down and exist as public documents subject, subject to public scrutiny, evaluation, and critique, and those who have private creeds and confessions that are often improvised, unwritten, and thus not open to public scrutiny, not susceptible to evaluation, and crucially and ironically, not therefore subject to testing by Scripture to see whether they are true. Yeah. And then uh, Michael Horton says, it's, It is not that the Bible for its many pages is unclear, nor that its writers are contradictory, but that it contains difficult passages, which lend themselves easily to distortion based on ignorance and instability. For nearly two millennia, creeds, confessions, and catechisms have provided the necessary constraints against ignorance and instability. And uh, I've mentioned before, uh, 
D.G. Hart's book, The Lost Soul of American Protestantism. And that that's a really great book to read if you want to see how um, divorcing ourselves from the conf- the being confessional and and whatnot, what results. And what results ultimately is Joel Osteen or some of these other teachers out there. Um, but the creeds specifically, this kind of gives us our foundational doctrines of the Christian faith. It gives us what is essential to believe as a Christian. And um, I'm going to have Rachel kind of talk about first order doctrines and second order doctrines and third order doctrines and why it's important to understand the difference. Well, you know, moving on with or agreeing with what you're saying and going on from there about the importance of creeds and our confessions, what they do is they provide the safeguards around uh, what we believe. These are the the guidelines so that we don't wander off uh, into error. And it's important to recognize that we the our need for them and not to dismiss it because you know as we said in both the quotes from from Carl Truman and Michael Horton. Um, these are the, like uh, Horton says, the necessary constraints, right? Um, I appreciate the way he put that. There's a, a really interesting and helpful article that uh, Al Mohler wrote. Uh, he called it um, Theological Triage, and um, we'll link to it. But he talks about, uh, when we're talking about doctrine and about the foundational doctrines of the Christian faith, that you can kind of put them in you know, three levels of like first order, second order, third order, excuse me, third order doctrines. Um, And so first order doctrines, these are the ones, uh, and what he says is they represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, that a denial of these doctrines would be nothing less than the eventual denial of Christianity itself. And, you know, these are the ones that's really important that we get right. These are the ones that define what it means to be a Christian. So they would be doctrines like the Trinity, that we have one God in three persons, that the the Son was incarnate and became man, and He died and was resurrected for our sins. Um, the justification by faith alone is the first order doctrine. That's the the famous quote. That's the doctrine that the church stands or falls. Right. So these are ones that define what it means to be a Christian. And these are not ones that we can just disagree to disagree. Or sorry, agree to disagree with um, when we're talking about Christianity. Second order doctrines would be ones that we would we could still be all be Christians in this discussion, but we have significant disagreements. These are often where our denominations are formed over. Um, it, uh, Al Mohler says that. Um, Christians can stand together on first-order doctrines and recognize each other as authentic Christians while understanding that the existence of second-order disagreements prevents the closeness of fellowship we would otherwise enjoy. So, example here would be uh, baptism. Like, do you do you baptize babies? Do you baptize only um, professing adults or professing believers of a certain age? That's one that. Uh, people that have disagreement over this are unlikely to be able to be in the same church over. Um, interestingly, he also includes the the topic of women's ordination as a second-order doctrine, the serious disagreement, right? And, of course, Colleen and I would be on the side of women should not be ordained. Uh, but it is one which uh, Christians can disagree on and still be Christians. So that's, that's the dividing line that he's, he's making here. 
Um, assuming they all agree on the first order doctrines, they could disagree on the second order. Now, third order doctrines are the ones that you and your friends, the people that you go to church with, the people that you are close friend, close with, even in the same congregation, might disagree with, might disagree over, um, even significantly disagree over. But it doesn't make a difference in um, your fellowship in the church. And I would put things like... Um, what your belief is about the end times or millennial views, these are things that Mueller says doctrines over which Christians can disagree and remain in close fellowships, even within local congregations. So, when we're talking about uh, our discussions here, the issue here is that we should be careful not to uh, fall into two errors. One error would be to, to make third order doctrines first order. Another would be to, to deny that there are first-order doctrines. And so, in a discussion about the creeds and confessions, what we're talking about in, in the, the essential information that we're getting are primarily first-order doctrines. Uh, of course, I think with the creeds, certainly, by the time you get into the catechisms and the confessions, you would get into some of the second-order doctrines as well, especially like with baptism and ordination. So, just to give you an idea of, of where this falls with what we're talking about and the importance of um, understanding the different levels of doctrine. You know, I'm, I'm so glad you talked about why it's important to understand the difference between these, because I see even today when someone will elevate a second-order doctrine to a first-order doctrine, and then they, and then they I guess, push down and a first order doctrine and as if it's a second order doctrine mm -hmm. and that's dangerous that mm -hmm. that's that's dangerous to do for so many reasons um i mean even even right now and some of the stuff that we've been talking about there are people there are people that have that have elevated um issues of manhood and womanhood to first order doctrines issues that are are not first order doctrines and then you see things like eternal subordination as as if it's not that important uh, you're making too big a deal <laughs> where the trinity in our creeds has always um, been a first order doctrine an essential doctrine of the christian faith we we must get that right so I wanted to real quick recommend, I'm going to link this in the episode notes, that Justin Holcomb has a really great book called Know the Creeds and Councils. I, I just started reading it, and um, I was sharing with Rachel earlier that uh, several years ago, when I was kind of studying early church history, I it was so fascinating to learn about those early councils and to understand um, just even some of the battles that went on to get what we believe is our essential doctrines of the Christian faith. So, and then he, to go along with that book, um, through Zondervan Academic, he has a, a video series. Um, it does cost money, but um, I think they have a 14-day free trial, or you can pay, you know, a monthly or yearly fee. But I know that uh, we have some gals that are learning more about church history and looking for resources like that. So um, we're going to just, there. there's kind of the, there's several creeds, but we're going to focus on um, kind of the three main ones that are recognized, which would be the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And um, it's interesting, if you, if you study, if you research especially 
or specifically the Apostles' Creed, you'll get all kinds of different opinions about when it was uh, when it was written. And it doesn't mean that it came from the Apostles, but it, it this is the faith of the Apostles. It is. Um, so that's kind of important. And I'm not going to read all of them, but the Apostles' Creed being uh, shorter, I'm going to just read it real quick. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. I, I do have to say, I, I grabbed this real quick from an OPC website. and it's the older in, language one. Yes, and my church uses Holy Spirit. A um, couple things I wanted to mention about the Apostles' Creed. The first one, uh, I think most people know, when when we talk about Catholic and the creeds, we're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. We're talking about the Universal Church, and so little C um, Catholic. You little C Catholic. That's important. And then the he descended into hell is is one of those things that gets talked when this creed comes up. <laughs> it gets talked about a lot. And one one of the things I'm going to link in the episode notes is the the first um, video that Justin did to go with his book was on the Apostles Creed and it's free on YouTube and it's worth it's worth watching cuz that's actually um, one of the things that he talks about. And um, there is quite a bit out there. Most people do not will say that they do not believe that this means that that Jesus literally descended into hell, but but that it is referring to death, um, that he died. I don't know if you have anything to add. I didn't want to get like real deep into this, but may, I don't know if you have anything you want to add, Rachel. No, I've heard quite a bit of discussion on it, too. Um, and yeah, I think continued in the estate of death is, is the kind of the shorthand answer. So he can continue into in his death for that time for the three days. So, right. Um, the other one in that translation that's different from um, the more modern translations of the Apostles' Creed is the quick and the dead. That quick there is is living, so the living and the dead. Um, my kids had a funny misunderstanding on that one, so um, they were imagining kind of like you know. If you're fast, you get away. It's like zombies, like the quick and the dead. I'm not sure <laughs> how how they got off on it. Not really the point here, but it was, yeah. So, the living and the dead, I always kind of chuckle now when I hear it the other way um, because of their misunderstanding. But Yeah, I know it by heart because mm-hmm. um, from reciting it in church, but I always know that the second I get on the podcast <laughs> trying to do it, I won't do it. So I thought I'm going to put it in front of me. Then I didn't even check which, which version, but, and there has been, you know, some different versions. Of course, it wasn't originally written in English. <laughs> so, um, there is that too. And, and one thing about the apostles creed, what we're going to find when we get to the, to the Nicene creed is there are certain things that, um, maybe aren't as detailed and, well, let me let me say a couple things about the Apostles' Creed, and then I'll get to the Nicene. Um, so this this really was kind of the first confession of sorts of what are the essentials of the Christian faith um, is is what we find with the Apostles' Creed, and 
anyone that's uh, Reformed, being in a Reformed church, meaning that your church holds to the three forms of unity, which would be the Heidelberg Catechism, the um, Canons of Dort, and the Belgic Confession. So if you learn the Heidelberg Catechism or um, go to a church that confesses it, you know that that it actually goes through the Apostles' Creed, and it has questions about each one of the sections. And so that, in regards to the Apostles' Creed, that would be a great thing to to go over. And then in Luther's small catechism, it also does the same thing. So, and these are really this is you know core Christian doctrine to to be a Christian and to understand what it means to be a Christian, you would have to be able to confess the Apostles' Creed and agree with the tenets of Christianity that are in it. You know, I'm not saying you may may not understand all of the points, like you don't understand what it means and there can be debate over, you know, he descended to hell, but the basic points of the, the Christian faith are outlined there in the Apostles' Creed. And when we talk about heresy, we're talking about things that are contrary to the main points of doctrine in these creeds, um, things that are contrary to essential doctrines of the Christian faith. That is, heresy isn't just, you know, small disagreements. It's serious, serious disagreements. Um, I mean, if somebody is a heretic, we do not recognize them as a believer. So, around the Nicene Creed, and probably seen because of the, you know, the ESS, EFS controversy going on the last five years or so, um, you'll see conversations about the Nicene Creed, and people will say things like Nicene Orthodoxy or Nicene Christianity. Um, And what was going on around that time, and Rachel, you probably know way more about this than I do, was um, the Arian controversy. There were specific debates about about Christ and um, whether he was created, whether he was eternal, all kinds of different sorts of things. Um, I, maybe you can speak to that a little bit too. Well, I mean, most of the early creeds and the the councils that met were meeting over um, the finer points and understanding of, of how to hammer out and discuss what uh, about the Trinity, about Christ about being God and man. So, yeah, all of these these issues about, you know, did he have a human nature or did he just look like a human? Did he was it a human that was adopted and created and and, and then given, you know, some kind of divine, you know, anointing, right? You know, what how do we, you know, work out what it means that Christ is the God man? And so with the Arian heresy you have Arius on one side saying that the Son uh, is created lesser than lesser God than the Father, and the issue then that you get in the Nicene Creed and uh, around the three hundreds, and then a little later as they updated it in the four hundreds, is to answer that question and answer that uh, that the Son, God the Son, has exactly the same uh, divine nature, the same divine will the same divine essence as the Father. And, you know, that's the, um, the the wording that you see in the Nicene Creed, if you're familiar, when it says that he's eternally begotten, God of God, light from light, uh, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father. All, right, all of that is is trying to, to speak very clearly about the nature uh, of the Son and who Christ is as God and man. And some of the other things that you'll find in the Nicene Creed, it, it talks about, 
right after what Rachel was just reading, um, it says, for us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, he became incarnate by the Holy Spirit, and the Virgin Mary, and was made human. And so, you are starting to get an idea of, of doctrines that are essential to the Christian faith. If somebody comes along and they deny the virgin birth, um, that's considered a heresy, or they deny um, something essential about the Trinity, or the Trinity altogether. There's people out there that deny the Trinity altogether. Or the resurrection. Or the, and yeah, that's the next one I was going to say. Um, e- either both the, re- the resurrection of the dead or the resurrection of Christ. Um, in the end of Nicene Creed, it says we look forward to the resurrection of the dead. And you'll sometimes hear there's a, um, a view called uh, full preterism that, that does not recognize the, the future resurrection. And so that will be called a heresy, for instance. Mm-hmm. And so, you kind of gives you some idea why why these things are important. And it's amazing to me that the, these are recognized um, in Protestant churches everywhere as essential doctrines. Mm-hmm. But they're also recognized in the Catholic Church as essential doctrines too. Right, and that's and that's because of how how old these are. Right these these ideas were were hammered out in these creeds: the Apostles' Creed, the Athanasian Creed. We can talk about in the Nicene Creed. All of these were were set in place um, in the first few hundred years after Christ, and so after Christ's death. And so, you know, even the Catholic Church traces their roots to this, right? And so, it's it is fundamental. It is foundational for the faith as Christians. I wanted to say we're actually going to talk about the Nicene Creed and probably the Athanasian Creed um, a little more in detail next week when we talk about the Trinity, because in in both the Nicene Creed and in the Athanasian Creed, the Trinity uh, was really highlighted. And then in the Athanasian Creed, you also have um, some aspects of Christology that were that were really really highlighted also. You know, I think that when someone becomes a Christian, they might not understand all the intricate deals, details of the Trinity. I think even when we've talked about ESS, that there's people that have come up and, and said, okay, I was always taught ESS, um, but now I understand that that's not biblical. And we're not saying that person isn't a Christian, right. or even everyone that teaches ESS isn't a Christian. Um, but what I do want our audience to understand is how important it is to have a correct doctrine of the Trinity. Yes, there's serious uh, implications of of getting these doctrines wrong, and and we will talk about that more as we get into the eternal subordination, some of the other aspects of what we have in uh, upcoming episodes. But it's 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 not a yeah it's not a it's not one of those things that has very little impact on the rest of your your faith and how you work out the structure of, of Christianity. If if you if you change or don't get the the Trinity right, there's some really significant um, outworkings. Yeah, and that that's so true with all of these foundational doctrines. Um, if you don't get them right, there's a lot of implications. Um, and so, with the Athanasian Creed, um, you you still had some of the same stuff that some of the same battles. I mean, it's it's worth 
uh, I'll because since we're not going to get into it, it's worth going and um, and learning about it and the different councils that took place and the debates that were going on. But back then, th- there there's a lot of things that were called heresy, and and we still recognize those things as heresy. Um, and it wasn't just a couple guys sitting around. They had, they had big councils where they really looked at the Word of God and the Christian faith. And that's, I mean, some of my favorite parts with the Athanasian Creed. It talks about um, we worship one God in Trinity and the Trinity in unity. Right? The, they're co-equal, co-eternal. Right? These are um, very important truths that we keep going back to and. It, but then it gets into how how the Father, Son, and Spirit are distinct. Um, but one of the most important things, one of the most um, striking things about the Athanasian Creed as you read through it is several different places in it. It says that uh, if you want to be uh, a Christian, if you want to uh, be part of the, the Christian church and the Christian faith, you need to believe these things. You need to... to um, to accept and adopt these beliefs. Um, in fact, it ends, this is the Catholic, little c, Catholic faith. One cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. And it's just, again, speaking to how serious it is that we understand the foundational beliefs of our of our faith. Yeah, these are the things that you must believe in order to be saved, which it kind of says in the Athanasian mm-hmm. um, creed. This really is more, I guess, an introduction in, in some ways to specific things that we're going to be talking about in uh, future weeks and why, why it's important to have an Orthodox view of the Trinity and, um, and the Holy Spirit too, mm-hmm. um, and the Father, and to correctly understand the nature of God and, um, and some of these other foundational doctrines. So, uh, we're just going to talk briefly about the confessions and catechisms and um so uh for those that don't know in presbyterian churches you're going to find the the westminster standards which is the westminster larger and shorter catechisms and then the confession of faith faith. and then i had mentioned earlier about the uh, Reformed churches that hold to the three forms of unity, which is the Dort, uh, Heidelberg Catechism, Belgian Confession. And if you go to one or the other of, of those churches, it, it's still helpful to utilize um, the other confessions. And on and they're very similar in, in various ways. But I guess I just want to talk briefly about why the confession and catechism is important. Um, you know, I was, I was thinking about looking to the um, some of the statements that the Westminster Confession makes. It's the one. I mean, we've had for our own family and our own children's studies. We've done um, they've done memory work in the shorter catechism. And my older uh, two boys who've who've gone through the shorter catechism are now working through the Heidelberg. And there is a lot of uh, similarity and overlaps, and in fact, the the boys are like, wait, does it say it this way in this one, or is it the wording from the other one? Because there is a lot of similarity, uh, but it's been useful to study both. But in the the confession, the Westminster Confession, one of the later chapters in it is on synods and councils, so on church um, 
councils and the writing of these doctrines and information. And it talks to the, the fact that it belongs to synods and councils to determine the controversies of faith, to set down rules and directions for the ordering of worship, the government of the church. And the, it says that these should be um, faithful to Scripture. But it also points out that synods and councils can err, and many have erred, right? Have have gotten things wrong in places. So that whatever whatever we do, whatever we believe with these, we should always be ready to have them uh, have our beliefs reformed by Scripture and guided by Scripture. And we would never put any of these above Scripture, although we do believe that they are faithful to Scripture and what they contain uh, and the information that they deal with. But they are important, as it says, for us to uh, understand the faith, to answer the challenges to the faith like they did in the early church with uh, with Christology in particular, and also to set down the rules and the, the guidelines and the, the government of our church and our, uh, both our denomination and our local churches. Uh, and this is where, again, we talked about the quotes, both from the Carl Truman quote at the beginning, he talks about you either have a document that you can look to that is public and everyone has it and has agreed to it and knows about it, or you have you don't have that, but there is still some sense of you know this is what we believe and this is it's just not as written down and we can't point to it and say this is why. And as a believer in the congregation and as a, a lay woman in the church, it is. Uh, a blessing to be able to look to these documents and say, the elders in my church are all affirming that they agree with these things, and so I know where, where we are and what we agree on and what we're saying is important. And if they came to me and said, you know, we want to talk to you about what you believe about these areas, they would be within their rights to help me see how how these creeds and confessions are important to understand and not just their opinions that they're enforcing on others, but these are a set of standards that we have that we agree to. And I think that's important for us as far as the practical side of the confessions and the catechisms. And when you were talking about how, you know, we, we don't think that the the catechisms are and confessions are infallible and, you know, not, and they're just absolutely on par with the Word of God. We think it is, we do think it is an accurate summary, but one of the things is that there has been changes mm-hmm. um, to uh, the, I, I know a little bit more about the Westminster Standards, um, but there's been changes mm-hmm. um, to the Westminster Standards. And sometimes even if you, uh, at, at General Assembly meetings in in the past, where they've actually discussed wording um, in mm-hmm. the in the catechism or confession, and um, and you were talking about your children learning them, and that's mm-hmm. one thing that I love so much because um, I had a few months ago, one of my sons was asking me um, a question about some theological question. My other son just came around the corner and just recited one of the catechism answers. And they they know so much doctrine, starting from when my kids were really little, you have the children's catechism that's based on the shorter mm-hmm. catechism. You know, my, my kids were two years old and 
you could ask them, who made you? And they'd say, God. And what else did God make? God made all things and, and whatnot. So it's, it's, a great, it's a great teaching tool for our children. And, you know, the, um, each of the catechism questions and the, um, and the points in the, in the confession have um, proof texts. And that's a great thing when you're teaching your children the catechism is to go through those proof texts. And let's read the scripture that these catechism questions are, are based on. Um, one of the things that um, I, we, I didn't mention this earlier, but one of the things that I think we should link here, there's a, a memory work notebook that's put out by the PCA OPC in the PCA bookstore. And it, I think Paul Settle is the guy who put it together. But it goes by age, like things starting at age three through teenagers, and it gives Bible verses, and then it breaks up, you know, starting with the children's catechism and the shorter catechism. So you kind of how much you can do and what's age appropriate for your kids, what to expect they could memorize well. And That's great. I it's been really that. useful. Mm-hmm. I've used it. Mine's falling apart. I wish they'd make a, an electronic version because uh, <laughs> mine is tattered at this point. But um, it's so helpful to see you know, all these things that we've studied and talked about. And, and they can. The kids can give some really great answers because they've studied this and they know, they know what they believe. Yeah, it's, and it... Um, Rachel was talking about earlier when she was talking about the um, the first order and second order and whatnot. And there there are things within our confessions and catechisms that are essential doctrines. So there are things about the Trinity and about uh, the nature of God and and so on. And then there are things that would fall under the um, the second order. So, in the Westminster Confession, we're going to have stuff about baptism and stuff about the regulative principle of worship and the Sabbath, and and those things are not first order doctrines, but they are important um, to the Reformed faith. So, um, and and that's that's the other thing. Um, I know that we had R. Scott Clark on this podcast and talked about the definition of Reformed and. He talked about confessing the Reformed faith, and this is how we confess the Reformed faith in the in the Reformed um, standards, the confessions and catechisms. For anyone that's wanting to learn more about this, uh, I have tons of um, articles I'm going to link just about the creeds, about the catechism and confessions, and um, a couple of books that I think would be helpful, some things that I've mentioned along the way. And as I said, this is a little shorter episode because really we just wanted kind of an introduction to what we're going to be talking about, why the creeds are, especially why the creeds are important since we're going to be talking about, you know, specifically the Orthodox doctrine of the Trinity and, and some other things. So hopefully this was helpful. Check out the resources and we'll see you next week.